0: This morning, I want us to take some time to think about this important issue of life. But it's really true that in order to love life, as you see the shirts and, and the screens and the papers on your seat, in order to love life, you must love truth. You must love truth. In our house, we've heard the question several times, because we have several children, Mommy, where do babies come from? Maybe you've had that question asked in your house. It's a pretty common question that comes up in homes across our world. How do you answer that question? Or how about this one, where does life come from? Now you might think that these questions are easily answered and that answers To questions like this should be obvious, but for many people that's simply not true. This morning I have some questions I want to ask. How do we have a nominated Supreme Court Justice who as a woman herself cannot even define what a woman is. I went back and listened to the dialogue back and forth, just to make sure I really heard that right. And it's true. She said, I, I, cannot, give, I cannot give you a definition for a woman, I'm not a biologist. Do You have to have a biology degree to be able to define what a woman is. How do we have a world today where many cannot define where life begins or when life begins? Why is a person who is genetically a man but chooses to call themselves a woman and dress as a woman able to compete against other women, why are Ladies who are genetically ladies, but choose to dress as men, allowed to compete with men. And why are people who are born one gender allowed to switch to another? Is it just whatever you decide? Why is creationism called religion and outlawed from public schools, but the evolutionary theory is taught as fact, and promoted as being truth without any question. Why has marriage been redefined as just a couple of spouses? Doesn't matter what your gender is. As long as two people love each other, that's marriage. In God's word, it says in Judges 21 25, and in those days there was no king in Israel, and every man did that which was right in his own eyes." and That's the world that we live in today. Each person does what they think is right. And you hear things like this, well, who am I to judge what you do with your life? After all, it's your life. And you might even feel like that's giving love to somebody else to make a statement like that. But I think there's a much deeper issue At work, in fact, I I believe I have an answer to my own questions. And the answer is this. When there is no absolute authority, then moral relativism permeates the culture. There's either truth or there's not truth. And when there's no absolute authority, everybody gets to make up and define for themselves what truth is. So should we as the church, should we as Christians... Just learn to be more tolerant. Is that our problem? We're just intolerant. Is this hate speech? To speak truth. Now Scripture's clear. We are to speak the truth in love. I think you can be hateful in how you approach things, but is it, but is it wrong to speak the truth? See, for t- too long. Here in our country, we've had pushed upon us this idea of neutrality, the idea that the state should be neutral on religious issues, separation of church and state, that education should be neutral when it comes to issues of religion, and in fact, outside of church, our society teaches that you ought to be just neutral on all of those issues. Unless maybe you're in your church. But even then, we'd really like you to not have your own position. You need to be in a neutral position. Here's the problem with that viewpoint. When you come to a position of so-called neutrality, you've already moved off of your foundation of the Word of God. There is no neutral ground. And it's false thinking and teaching to believe that there is somehow this neutral place where we can all just coexist and your ideas are just as good as my ideas. That thinking is false because as we understand the Word of God, you are either for God or you're against God. You either believe in God or you don't believe in God. There's only two kinds of people in the world. Those who are believers and followers of God and Jesus Christ as taught in the Word of God and those who aren't. There's no neutral ground. And so to try to create this false idea that there is some sort of neutral ground, actually all it is is trying to pull the believer off the foundation of the Word of God and get them down on the same level, if you will, with those who will teach falsehood And all you've done is already agreed with them just by moving off the Word of God. Because if you don't have the Word of God to stand on this morning, you have nothing to stand on. You have your logic. You can argue saying, well, I believe this based on science. But how many times has science changed? How many times do scientists even contradict themselves? You can either believe God or you can believe man. There's no neutral ground. We've heard this idea. Well, just follow science. Science is the answer. Well, let me read to you from the Oxford Language Dictionary what it defines science as. It says science is defined as the intellectual and practical activity encompassing the systematic study of the structure and behavior of the physical and natural world through observation and experiment. And that's a good definition. That's The definition of science I learned when I was growing up in school and probably similar to how you would define science as well, even though I realize they may have used some bigger words than you might use to define it. But ultimately, science is the study of evidence that we have. See our problem is not the evidence that's available. The problem is what is our bias when it comes to that evidence. And there are some that would say, well, as scientists, we have no bias. We come completely unbiased. And that's just not true. There is nobody that is unbiased. Everybody has some kind of opinion. In fact, when I was growing up, I heard people say things like this. Well, everybody, you know, opinions are like armpits. Everybody has a couple of them and they usually stink, right? (laughs) Your opinion ultimately is just that. It's just your opinion. So if all we do is debate opinion back and forth, we don't really accomplish much of anything. All we have to stand on is the truth of God's Word. Now, some would argue, well, how do you know God's Word is truth? You have to take it by faith. Now, it's not a blind faith. God has revealed Himself over and over through the prophecies. He is, as He has fulfilled them, God has revealed Himself in creation. Even the Bible tells us that the heavens declare the glory of God. Right? All we have to do is look to the stars in the sky and say, wow, there must be a Creator. All you have to do is hold a new baby in your arms and say, wow, somebody made this individual with intentionality, with purpose, with a plan for his life. But ultimately, it does require faith. Can I say it also requires faith to believe that the Bible is not true? See science and the quality of science is only as good as the quality of evidence and the skill with which the observer is able to study that evidence. So therefore science cannot give us answers to fundamental questions of life and existence. Because all we can do with science is observe things that already are. Science doesn't create. Science observes. And by definition, to observe, you have to be there to see it. So when it comes to things like, how did the world get here? You can either believe God's Word as the one who says He was there and made it all, Or you can believe the words of men who weren't there to observe it anyway. My friends, even in a court of law, that doesn't stand up. Would you listen to the eyewitness or do you listen to the one who claims that they saw it, but they weren't even there? Who claims that they know? Well, let me show you the science. Well, can we just talk to the one who was there who did it because they can tell us? I'm not against science. Science has brought us many wonderful things as people have studied, but all it is is studying the world that God created and finding new ways to put things together or understand how things work and thereby being able to make medicines or make better materials to construct tall buildings or whatever it is. It's taking what God has already put together. It's like a kid who says, look, look at this wonderful building I built. Mom, you had nothing to do with it. Mom's like, well, I bought you the Legos. You know, like like you you couldn't have done this without the building blocks. And it's foolish for us to walk around and think that we've done this great thing and God had nothing to do with it. See, science isn't always right. It even contradicts itself. So the issue that we face today is we can either trust God's Word and let God decide what is truth or we can trust man's Word And let man decide what is truth. We have a problem. And it's not a problem of surface issues. It's a foundational problem. Living in Houston, you know what those are like probably. We're no strangers to foundation problems. If you own any kind of house for any length of time, probably at some point, you'll have a foundation problem. But how do you know when you have a foundation problem? Well, often it's because your doors start to stick or because you see some cracks in the wall. Or maybe you're down on the floor playing marbles with your kids and the marbles are like rolling off to one side. He says, something's wrong. Things aren't level. And as you begin to investigate deeper, you realize, hey, we can patch this crack, but it's just going to come right back. I can shave down this door and make it close properly, but pretty soon another door is going to stick, or this one's going to start sticking again. Why? Because there's a foundational problem. And we're going to deal with some of these surface issues today, but we can't deal with them properly without really going deep to the foundational root problems. Because if we don't fix the foundation problem... Then, all of those surface issues, all those uh, things that we see popping up in our society, whether it be transgenderism, uh, whether it be uh, redefining marriage, whether it be abortion, as we're really focusing on today, all of these issues, while they are massive problems, they can't be fixed unless we deal with the foundation of it all. And the foundation ultimately is is God right? Do we believe God or is mankind right? Do we we believe what people say? The Bible describes this problem in Psalm 11, verse 3. It says, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? And I have a, a picture here I want to show you. This isn't mine. I got this from... Ken Ham answers in Genesis, they do this work. But on the picture, you've got two castles. On the right side, at the bottom of the castle, it says God's word. On the left side, it says man's word. That's the two choices, right? We can either believe God's word or we can believe man's word. You've got guys shooting cannonballs at each other. That's just kind of for sake of illustration. But in the top of the castle that says man's word, you have a series of balloons, racism, gay marriage, abortion. You could go on and add lots more balloons to that if you want. And those are all major problems. But I think sometimes as Christians, we get really busy focused on these problems, and they should require some focus, right? But we don't realize that the world, all they're trying to attack is our foundation. Because if the world can get people to believe that this is not God's Word, they've already won. If this isn't the Bible, then sure, we might legislate morality on one of those issues, but it's not going to fix the problem. It's just going to come back, come back even worse. And in fact, there'll be just more problems. How many people have you heard lately say, I just can't believe the world we live in. It just seems like every day there's a new wicked thing that comes out. I just can't believe it. They're just all over. I don't know how to stop it. We're not going to stop it by just popping the balloons at the top. We have to deal with it as a foundational problem, issue. And meanwhile, while many believers even are focused on these uh, surface issues, real issues, but on the surface problems, they don't realize the fact that they've given up the most important thing and that's their foundation. You say, well, how do believers give up their foundation? Well, they give it up. We give it up when we don't put a high value on God's Word How many christians do you talk to and i've talked to many and sadly we're all there at some level or another where they're asked a question just a basic question about what is true and what is not well i kind of think this or i heard that hey christian if you don't know your bible you're giving up your foundation the old song says my Hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. That's where that supposed neutral ground is. It's just sinking sand. And if you don't know the Word of God, if you don't love this book, not just carry it around with you, but read it and study it, memorize it, meditate upon it, and then apply it to your life, you've given up your foundation. It doesn't matter how many good things you do. It doesn't matter how nice of a person you are. Ultimately, your foundation is cracked and it's being destroyed, and eventually the whole house will come crashing down. We have a problem, and it's a foundational problem. But the Bible tells us that we have a solution, and we see that in Isaiah 58, verse 12. They that shall be of thee shall build the old waste places. They shall raise up the foundations of many generations, and thou shalt be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of paths to dwell in. Yeah, we have a foundational problem, but the foundation can be repaired. It can be repaired. I've got another picture for you. As Christians, we must not forget about these issues, the issue of abortion. We're going to take a stand for that this week as a church, and we're excited about that. But if we're really going to see long-term change, it comes, and this is one of the things I love about David and Casey and their focus here, as they're trying to stand against abortion, They're doing it by trying to share the gospel with people. Because at the end of the day, you can say it's illegal to have an abortion, but it doesn't fix the root cause, and that's sin. It comes down to believing what man's word says. and As long as people follow what they want to do or what other people tell them to do, there will always be sin. The only answer, the only hope for you and for me and for this world is found in Jesus. It's found in the Word of God. On basing our life upon Him. This morning, I want us to look at three fundamental life questions. This is not an exhaustive study by any stretch, but I want to compare and contrast man's Word and God's Word on these three fundamental issues. Because if we get these wrong, we're going to miss everything else. The first one is this, where did I come from, my origin? Where did I come from? Well, according to man's word, the Encyclopedia Britannica says it this way, the origin of life is a result of a supernatural event. Well, we say, well, maybe, maybe that's true. In fact, they give us four different options here. I like how the encyclopedia is covering all their bases. Another option, they say, well, life particularly simple forms spontaneously and readily arises from non-living matter in short periods of time, today as in the past. So life just kind of comes up out of non-living matter. Uh, The third way they say that possibly life comes from is that life is co-eternal with matter and has no beginning. Life arrived on earth at the time of earth's origin or shortly thereafter. Life just appeared. Here's the fourth option. and We hear this promoted a lot. Life arose on the early earth by a series of progressive chemical reactions. Wow, congratulations. You're just a series of chemical reactions this morning. And science would like to say that. Well, we can create life in a test tube, we can, we can clone babies, we can, we can do all of this, it's just chemicals and you mix them up properly and poof, you have life. And such reactions may have been likely or may have required one or more highly improbable chemical events. Uh, thank you Encyclopedia for Britannica for telling us that it is highly improbable chemical events. So we're going to teach that as fact, that you came through a series of chemical reactions. That's where life comes from. But we're going to at least acknowledge it's highly improbable. So how do we fix that problem? Well, if you give enough years, millions and billions of years, statistically maybe at some point things could have got crossed just right. Life comes out. Do you even hear yourself? How do you look in the mirror and say that with a straight face? The only way you can do that is... If you've already decided, and you're biased, I'm rejecting God, therefore I have to come up with another explanation. See, there's no neutral ground. You can either believe God's word, or you can believe man's word. So, where did I come from? Where did you come from according to God's word? Well, let's go to the very first verse in the Bible. Genesis 1, 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. In John chapter 1 and verse 1, we have the same ideas. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. So it wasn't a chemical reaction. It wasn't that life just spontaneously came into being. It's not that life has just always existed. No, without Him, without God's power, without His creation, nothing was made that was made. You see, and that sounds really simple. I mean, look at how complex people are. I mean, how did all this come about? Well, we have a pretty incredible God who's an amazing designer, who has an incredible imagination that can say, this is how I want this to work, and this is going to work, and all of these bodily systems are going to function together. And you're trying to tell me that that happened by chance? There's no neutral ground. Colossians 1:16 and 17 says, For by Him, by God, were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, Visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. By Him and for Him. And He is before all things. And it says, and by Him all things consist. He holds it all together. Why does the universe not fly apart? Why do the planets… Why can you calculate the time of day just from the rotation of the earth and the movement of the stars? How did that get to be so precise? It by chance, by chance. It was just chemical reactions. Hey, I took high school chemistry. I know what what chemical reactions look like. Chemists do it. It just looks like a big blowing up thing. I get it. You can have chemical reactions that are much more controlled, but they require somebody putting that together just in the proper way to get the desired result. You can either believe God or you can believe man. Where did I come from? What's my origin? It's really simple. You can either believe God and say, I was created by God, He made all life, or you can believe man. And if you believe man, you're going to have to pick one of lots of different options because people can't agree on where we came from unless they agree with God and say that God created all things. You say, this is basic stuff. Tell us something new. Tell us something exciting. My friends, this is the foundation. Just like when you have a crack in your foundation at home, it's not exciting to get foundation work done. In fact, it's really messy, and they dig up holes in your yard, and, and they kill your plants, and they do all this work, and you say, "Ah, oh, it's such a mess. It's so awful. Nobody wants to get foundation work done. But if you don't get your foundation taken care of, you're going to have major problems. Sure, it's easy to focus on the flashy things, the things other people see. of course, but friends, have, have we just given up this and said, well, I don't know. I mean, so much science, so much this, so much of that. Do you believe God's word or do you believe man's word? Origin, where did I come from? Second question, purpose, why am I here? why am I here? Well, according to man's word, some would say, well, you exist for yourself. Well, if that's true, then just do whatever you want because it's your life. It's my life. I'll live it how I want to live. Anybody ever heard that statement? That's somebody that believes man's word that says you exist for yourself, this is my time, this is my room, this is my day, this is my stuff, I exist for myself, others would say, no, 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 that's really wrong, I exist for the collective good of others, sounds good. That's the idea that's been perpetrated for many, many years, and it always results in the same thing, dictatorship and communism. Hey, you exist for the collective good of others, but let me tell you how to do that properly. (laughs) And and to help you do that properly, I, I need a little bit more so that I can make sure that everybody's doing the good for everybody else. Others will just say, well, I have no purpose for existence. No purpose. It's no wonder we see suicide rates at an all-time high, depression, mental health, struggle. Why? Because we struggle with purpose. Why why am I even here? What am I doing? And a lot of things cause people to struggle with purpose. They look around the world and say, well, you can go get lots of education, but it doesn't mean you're going to get a good job. Well, you can do right, but, and you can earn lots of money, but they can just tax it and take it away. Or they can just do other things. Inflation's going to go up, you're going to lose it anyway, so why even bother? No purpose. So what does God's Word say about our purpose? Well, it says lots of things. Again, I'm just giving you representative scripture here this morning. We can't cover all of scripture from end to end here. This is a whole lifetime study, really. But very simply, God's word says in Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship. In other words, he made you created in Christ Jesus. And he says unto good works. There's purpose. And this is really cool he says which god hath before ordained that we should walk in them in other words his purpose wasn't just something he came up with off the top of his head no he's had a plan and a purpose for your life since way before you even existed from eternity past he already had a purpose for your life isn't that incredible So uh, my life is not wandering around saying, I have no purpose. No, my life is trying to understand God's purpose that He's intended for me and then living out that purpose every day. It's a struggle when you're a teenager, right? What am I going to do? Oh, man. Where am I going to go? You hear the idea of failure to launch. But adults struggle with it, too, at different stages in life. Ever heard of what they call the midlife crisis, right? You get to this age, and you're like, oh, man, I, I'm not in as much shape as I used to be. I can't run as fast as I used to run. I can't do what I used to do. I'm not as good looking as I was. Well, I, well, but I got a little money, so I'll go out, spend it, and do some fun things, and try to find purpose and meaning in my life again. Midlife crisis. Why? It's a struggle of purpose. Why am I here? God's Word tells us that God has a purpose for your life. Colossians 1.16, we already looked at this verse once, but I want you to notice the very end of that verse. He says, all things were created by Him and for Him. There's that purpose again. You were created for Him, not for yourself, and not just for the collective good of society. No, you were created for Him. Him, First Corinthians 10.31 says it this way, All Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. So your purpose is for Him. It's to bring glory to God. So that when others see me, I ought to be pointing them to Christ. Purpose. Why are you here? Origin. Where did you come from? Here's one more question destination. Where am I going when I die? All of these are questions that fundamentally science can't answer for you, because science is observation. All of these answers require faith, and faith by definition does not give us sight. Now, faith may become sight someday, but when it's faith, it's something I do even when I can't see it. For the believer, our faith is that one day it will become sight. So it's not a blind faith. It's a faith in God's revealed Word. It's a faith in God's Spirit who works in believers and through them. Destination, where am I going? Well, according to man's Word... Well, some would say that I will follow the path of reincarnation. That this life is just a cycle. It's going to, I'm going to live and die, and then I'm going to come back again. And I've done a good job in this life. I'll come back better than I have. If I don't do as good of a job, I may come back as a lower form than I was in this life. It's this process of reincarnation and over and over, life and death trying to reach a higher state of being. So if I follow that path, that means I need to be kind to the roaches at my house and to the rats and the mice and the neighbor's cats that come over and and urinate in my flower beds. And I need to really be kind to all of the creatures because it might be grandma. Grandma. No. Do we take care of God's creation? Yes. But it's not because it's a reincarnated being. It's because God told us what to do with His creation. That we are here to care for it as caretakers of His creation and we are here to subdue His creation. In other words, we are to give it direction and purpose. That's why it's okay to cut your grass and pull weeds. that even has a spiritual implication i think it does the way we take care of things ought to come be motivated by our view of who god is and what he's done for us what did god do with adam and eve when he put them in the garden he put them there as caretakers of his garden don't worry i'm not going to come by and inspect your house the yard of the month not the yard of the month no but we ought to take care of what god's given us because we're stewards So man's word, where do I go when I die? Well, some say follow the path of reincarnation. Others say, well, this life is all that there is, and when it's over, I'm just going to cease to exist. That's it. It's done. Well, if that's true, then you better have a good time because it's running out. It's quick. It's quick. It's going to be over before you know it. What are you doing sitting here? Get out there and have some fun. Because this life is all there is. Uh, others would say, well, there's no way to really know what will happen after you die. And people that would say this, it's a, it, it's a, it's a life of fear. It's unclear. What do I do? I don't know. How do you know? What do you do? Where, where am I... And, and you see people like that, they work super hard to try to preserve their life any way that they can. I, I, I just got to make sure that this, because this is all I have. I'm going to hold on to it. We hold on to it so tightly, we end up losing it anyway. But The Bible even talks about that. If you try to save your life, you'll lose it. But he said, those who will hey, give their life for my sake keep it, and reap life everlasting. Others would say, well, I will go into the afterlife, so I know there's something after this life, but I'm not really sure what it is. It's just uncertain. It's indistinct. See, all of these things, and you could probably come up with others, these are all ways that man Say. Well, God's word's very clear. It says in Hebrews 9:27, as it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment. So you can't believe in reincarnation and believe in the Bible, because reincarnation is a life and death, and life and death over and over and over again. There's no do-overs. This is it. This is your one life. But there's something coming after this life. And that is how you live this life. And the Bible is very clear. It says that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So according to the Bible, you can either have eternal life with Christ in heaven or you can spend an eternity in hell separated from God. And By the way, God didn't create hell for you. He created it for the devil and his demons. In fact, He said in His Word that He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But it is not God who casts those out. It is rather those who have refused to follow God. Those who have rejected God, their sin is what separates them from God. And all sinners will have their place, the Bible says, in the lake of fire. You see, that sounds really... Binary, just two options, heaven or hell. It's true. Well, how do you know? Because God says it. I'm not sure. Well, you can either believe God or you can either believe man. say, oh. But I'd rather believe science. Well, it's still faith. Where's your faith this morning? Is it in God or is it in what others say? Science helps us, sure, but only as it submits to what God's Word teaches. This is not anti-science, and some would take, well, those Christians, they just don't like science. Science is fine, but science has a place. And it's not God and science, it's God, and science is underneath His control. Some say, no, no, science is over. Well, now you've just made science your own God. So you're going to believe the God of the universe? You're going to believe the God of science? 1 Thessalonians 4, 16-18, in talking about where you go when life is over, it says this, For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. I think one of the worst things in the world is going to a funeral of somebody that doesn't have the comfort that this truth offers the hope that you have and comfort you have to ever see your loved ones who have passed away is whether or not they knew christ as their savior and if they did you can have all the hope in the world you'll see them again i love what paul says in 1 corinthians 15 Verses 50 to 58. He describes for us what happens to this body, because we all know that this body is getting old and it's breaking down, it's weak. Oh, this morning, I was waking up and I stretched my leg out and I got one of those big old cramps, right, in my calf muscle. Ah! I shouted out right in bed. And it took a little bit to get it worked out. It's sore. I still feel it this, right now. So what does the Bible say? Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither doth corruption, that's this body, doth inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall all be changed. And it says, for this corruptible, that's this body, must put on incorruption and this mortal, (laughs) that's you and me, must put on immortality. How do I do that? it says, when that happens, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? And you look around this world, doesn't it seem like sin is winning? Sin is real. Doesn't it feel like the grave always wins? The grave is seeming to get all the victory. And over the last few years, how many people and loved ones have we known that have passed away? Boy, the grave got up. Boy, the grave got up. Somebody else died. Somebody else died. Somebody else died. Somebody else died. Die. Our world has been fixated upon and fascinated by all of this death. And how do we avoid it? And yet death continues to win. So where's our hope? Notice verse 56. He says, the sting... Of death is sin. You see, sin is what brings death. Your sin is what separates you from God. My sin is what separates me from God. There is none righteous, no, not one. Your destination is made very clear based upon what the Word of God says. It's either in heaven with God or it's in hell. But we have a problem. We are corruptible. We are mortal. We are sinners. But according to 1 Corinthians 15, this corruptible can put on incorruption. This mortal can put on immortality. But I got to do something about sin. And in fact, the rest of verse 56 says, and the strength of sin is the law. What does that mean? Well, the more you study God's Word and see His law, the more you realize you're a sinner. Jesus, when asked what was the greatest commandment, He summed it up in two. He said, the greatest is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And He said, the second is likened to it, love your neighbor as yourself. There's not a single person in here that could raise their hand and said, I have loved God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength for my whole life and I've never messed up one time. If you raised your hand, you'd have broken another one of His commandments because you'd be a liar. And there's not a single one of us that I've never done anything selfish. Never done anything for myself that is putting somebody else down and look out for myself. Well, I got to look out. If I don't look out for myself, who else will? Love your neighbor as yourself. See, the strength of sin is the law. But notice what it says, verse 57, but thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The hope for immortality is in Jesus Christ. The hope of incorruption is in Jesus Christ. The hope for sinners is found in Jesus Christ today. You can either believe God's word or you can believe man's word. He says, therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord." So why do we share Christ? Why do we live for Christ? Why do we stand for life? Why do we leave things that are comfortable and go towards things that are difficult? Why would you go across the world as a missionary and leave home and family and friends? Why would you go and live in the middle of a big city and and be a part of a church here? You could live in a much more comfortable place. Why would you do those things? Because your labor's not in vain in the Lord. Because this life isn't about my comfort. It's not about just finding the best life right now. No, this life is about living for Jesus and pointing other people to Him. Yeah, it's a sacrifice some days. You get tired of others. That's why he reminds us, don't, don't be weary in well-doing. That's why he reminds us that his faithfulness is consistent. Just like the, the morning and the evening and the sun rises and sets, God is faithful. His mercies are new every morning. He's promised that He'll never leave us or forsake us. He promised that nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's a reason He gives us this encouragement here. My beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So what can you do? What can we do? You can either believe God's Word and live by faith, trust it by faith, or you can believe man's Word, which ultimately is a faith choice that you have to make as well. Hebrews 11.6 says it very plainly, Without faith it's impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek Do you trust God's Word? Do you stand for the truth that you claim to trust in by knowing God's Word? Have you spent time with Him today? Or is Sunday the one time you sort of connect with God's Word and God's people and then you're just kind of out on your own all week without being in His Word? Yes, you can't live at church. That's not what it means. But He still says we can pray without ceasing. You can have access to Him every single day and every moment of every day. He's given you His Word so you can have it, to read it, to follow it. This morning, I want to declare as a church that we believe the Word of God and we stand for truth. And because of that, we stand for life. Life matters because... God's Word is truth. Because otherwise, it's just your opinion against mine. Well, I'm glad that you stand for life, but I don't, so. Your opinion's as good as mine. Not if we have to stand upon the truth of God's Word. We love life because God created life. We love life because God has a purpose for each person to live out during their life. We love life because God sent Jesus Christ to give us eternal life. We stand for life by preaching the hope of the gospel. We stand for life by providing resources and counseling and biblical help to women and children or families in need. We have to put feet to our prayers. We have to put action to our faith. We stand for life not just by speaking out about the ills in society and calling out the wickedness around us. No, but by pointing those who are lost in love, by pointing them to Jesus Christ. He's the true answer to every problem that this world faces. We stand for life by praying for those who are considering abortion and by loving mothers who have had abortions. Do you know the truth of God's word do you know that you're here because God put you here on this earth do you know that you have a purpose because God has a plan for your life and it's an incredible plan his ways are not your ways but his ways are far greater than your ways could ever be I look around just in a church and I think wow it's incredible that God has intersected our path the people he's brought our way there was a gentleman in the first service. He's been here the last three or four weeks in a row, In the first service has been visiting and coming to our church, and we were talking this morning, and he just lives a few blocks away. How did God, and he said, I'm really glad. I, I think I'd like to make this my church home. And I said, praise God. That's great. Well, why did God put him here? Because he wanted to put him with us and us with him. He had a plan for his life and he has a plan for our lives. And those plans intersected. And that's really special. It's pretty special that God thinks about me and he thinks about you. It's special that he has a plan for your life and my life. So this morning, afternoon now, it's 12.07. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, I want to invite you to trust him today. Maybe you say, I've been trusting my own way. I've been trusting what other people say, but this morning I realize it's not just a this or that or the other thing, and I have a million options. No, I can either trust God or I can trust what man said. And this morning I, I hear the Word of God, and God's Spirit has worked in me, and I want to trust in Him today. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Call upon Him. But I also want to invite the believers here this morning. If you're a believer in Christ, I want to invite you to stand with our church this week as we stand for life, as we declare the love of Jesus Christ and the gospel to this world, to those who are in great need in our community. Will you stand with me this Saturday as we go downtown to stand for and pray for mothers for unborn children, even as we pray for the workers in those clinics. You will see if you go with me this Saturday, there are people that come down as volunteers every week. And you know what they're volunteering to do? To try to get moms into the clinic as fast as they can so the mom doesn't have time to think about anything else. That's their community service. And my friend, if if as Christians, we don't believe what we say enough to actually do anything about that, that should really bother you. That tells me they have more faith than you do. Who will pray with me for their salvation? Who will go to show the love of Jesus? I'm going to close in a word of prayer, and Mike is going to come play the piano. And I'm going to invite you to come and to pray, to pray for the unborn, to pray for moms. I'm going to invite you to come and pray for our city, to pray for our country. I'm going to invite you to come and recommit your own life to the Lord. Say, God, I want to trust you and follow your word. I'm going to invite you to come. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, I'll stand right down here. Come down. I'd love to pray with you and talk with you, get you with somebody who can show you how you can have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me, please, as we bow our heads in prayer? Father, help us now to follow you, to trust in your word. This is a simple message, but Lord, the truth is very straightforward. We can either believe you or we can believe what this world says. I pray that our church would be a church of believers in Jesus Christ who walk by faith and not by sight. Help us now, I pray in Jesus' name.